From the Public Relations Global Network, this is PRGN Presents. I'm Adrian McIntyre. And I'm Abby Fink, Vice President General Manager of HMA Public Relations in Phoenix, Arizona, and a founding member of PRGN. With public relations leaders embedded into the fabric of the communities we serve, clients hire our agencies for the local knowledge, expertise, and connections in markets spanning six continents across the world. Our guests on this bi-weekly podcast series are all members of the Public Relations Global Network. They discuss such topics as the importance of sustainability and environmental, social, and governance programs, crisis communications, content marketing, reputation management, and outside-of-the-box thinking for growing your business. For more information about PRGN and our members, please visit PRGN.com. And now, let's meet our guest for this episode. Hello, Abby. Thank you for having me on the show. Um, My name is Dwayne Alexander. I'm from Alexander PR in Auckland, New Zealand. Well, I'm going to read a quote that you have shared with me that I think is a fabulous way to start this conversation. Prior preparation prevents poor performance. This pithy piece of wisdom is now shorthanded as the five Ps. Uh, Thank goodness, because I don't think I could say that again. But planning for what's ahead. Right. It's it's the number one thing we talk to all of our clients about is planning for the unknown, planning for the unexpected. And when we don't do that, we know that we have a bit of a crisis. You know, we all have had a very challenging handful of years. I think that that, um, you know, globally, we've all been impacted, certainly by the pandemic and other economic issues. But you kind of taken a look at, you know, the the role that organizational leadership, their, you know, their boards of directors, whether that is a corporate board, a family board, but really those leaders that are in charge of, of running the organization and sitting around a conference room table and making decisions. So how are you, you know, thinking about this in this context of where we are in this global situation and what are we doing to advise clients on planning for and preparing for the inevitable that is bound to happen? Thank you, Abby. There's a lot of talk around polycrisis and catastrophic events and megatrends, but what we found is some of the basics are often overlooked when it comes to groups of people sitting around the table as board of directors. In fact, we've, we were so incensed by it that we asked a whole lot of people across the PRGN network, as well as a whole lot of companies across the world, were there some bad habits that they saw amongst boards that could be actually helping exacerbate crises. None of us think we have bad habits, right? I mean, and, and if we've been put in this this responsible place to be helping to make decisions, we clearly are there because we know what's right. But we might not have all that information. So, you know, what are some of the the things that boards need to be thinking about? And, and as communications professionals, as the strategic counselors to these organizations, what are some of the things we should be looking at when we're preparing for or in planning for uh, what eventually might become a crisis for our organizations? Well, crisis is often evaluated by how well the CEO or management handle it, but often case that's uh, not the case. Often it's much deeper than that. Sometimes a board can be an, an ally for the CEO or the C-suite and have helped them prepare over a number of years for what could eventuate out of a, a, a red flag. 
However, other times CEO, CEOs are, are scapegoats and can be thrown into the wolves by the board as well. And that's oftentimes a very difficult thing. You know, some of the things that our network came across that across the entire world was reversing strategy too often, you know, lack of stakeholder planning and preparation and not paying enough attention to the red flags, you know, so those red flags could be anything from, you know, decline in operational margins uh, through the loss of working capital, but it could be also simple things like staff are overworked, the leadership are not sleeping, so decisions are not being made uh, in a timeliest manner. And I think that's the hard part, right, is is even even when you recognize a red flag is is what do you do about it? I mean, there's 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 certain, you know, businesses have to keep operating and and, you know, challenging times to hire new people and bring them on board and such. It's it might be a, a complicated scenario to, even you know, even if we recognize it, what are we supposed to do about it? I mean, there may just be a point where we just have to keep moving forward because we can't make the kind of decisions or we feel like we can't make the kind of decisions we need to make to move it forward. Even in the most complex of situations where we're dealing with macroeconomic trends, oftentimes it's kindergarten rules when it talk, you know, when we're talking about the board. Uh, and we distilled those 23 bad habits into sort of eight characteristics in a way or eight influencing factors. And the number one was communication, you know, uh, and we'll get into communication in a little bit more detail. But another one was having the right experience and training and recruitment on the board as well, having the right culture to grow the team and retain the team, especially in the environment that we've just come out of, which is a an employee market. Um, discipline and internal processes. How many CEOs have waited outside a boardroom for an hour just to speak to the uh, the directors who are busy on one red flag or the other. Another one is cronyism or nepotism as well. So that's a major thing across the world is not having the right people on the board as well. And the last three is the easy one is ego. Uh, ego can get in the way of many a decision, has and always will. Uh, technology is a major one. And the last one is ESG, which I think you've spoken about previously. So there's a lot of basic things that you could work on that will help you make the bigger decisions in a more appropriate way. You know, one of the things that communications professionals and public relations practitioners will always say is that we need to have a seat at the, at the table, right? We need to be in the room when these decisions are being made. And in a lot of cases, I think we're, we're probably saying that with we need to be at the table with the CEO, right? We need to be sitting around with the with the presidents, with the vice presidents, the you know the the staff that are being tasked with these responsibilities. But you're saying, I, as I understand it, that there's one more table that we need to be thinking about, and that's the one that the CEO needs to be sitting at, which is the board of directors. So how do how do we get in on those conversations? You know, what what steps do we need to be taking to make sure that you know our knowledge and expertise, our objectivity is being heard, not just by the CEO, but by the people that the CEO reports into. I think it's helping the CEO with their job. And, you know, our job is sometimes to make the C-suite look good and make the right decisions. But it's also about positioning what they're doing upwards as well as downwards as well. So um, many times it's actually lobbying some of the people amongst the board earlier before the meeting and making sure that they understand what the red flags are in the first place, never mind what the solutions are as well. 
So our job is oftentimes to negotiate and, and act as a go-between between the C-suite and the, and the board of directors sometimes as well, because they, they're not always equipped, uh, with the right tools. And sometimes, uh, there are just too many different agendas on that board in order for the CEO to get a, a good airing. One of the metrics that you hinted at, Duane, uh, really intrigues me when you mentioned, are people getting enough sleep? And, you know, it strikes me that this is not the kind of thing that's typically benchmarked in an organization, but personal well-being, uh, not only for the leadership, but for all the members of the team can absolutely be a red flag that could lead to a crisis situation. So how do you bring those kind of conversations to the table? I think most leaders are thinking about our supply chain, uh, you know, our health and safety measures, government regulations, things of that nature. But you're saying, hey, this goes through to the human beings and their well-being. I think it's easier in 2023 to have those kinds of conversations. I pity the poor people in 1980 and 1990 trying to say, well, I didn't have much sleep last night. <laughs> Remember how that went down. <laughs> But I think there's been a whole wave of transformative business models, including, you know, uh, one of our clients launched the global four-day week proposal where he's suggesting that Americans who love to work should be doing it in the four-day week scenario. And then it's conversations like that that are making us much more conscious of the productivity levels that we're, we're getting from our teams. And it's not just that presenteeism amongst the staff because, you know, red flags could be early on mistakes that are happening in the supply chain or in those businesses that are not picked up by the CEO and then the board. And then it's too late because somebody's died or there's been a, a, an accident or, or or something along those lines. So there are increasingly sophisticated methods of looking at productivity uh, and how, how t- staff are actually working optimally. Uh, and, you know, with remote working, it's actually somewhat harder. I don't know if all of you are the same, but many of us work harder in the remote working scenario uh, because you find yourself, you know, creeping into the night and into the early morning. Uh, but but these things can be worked on with experts, and boards can take, uh, I suppose, courage and ideas from experts in this area as to how to maintain, you know, productivity and growth amongst key staff. Well, and I think that's an interesting word courage, because it sounds easy when you talk about it this way, but to put it into action really requires a commitment to it, to a willingness to uh, try it, make mistakes, evaluate, retry something different. And I think, you know, owning the the change that we're trying to make and that this is this is not all about, you know, just how much we can produce but how are we doing it? And that, that the ESG component of some of these things is, you know, we have this external audience that we're trying to manage, but internally, what are we doing for the people? And, you know, are we creating this workplace culture that is a, you know, is diverse, that is uh, representative of, you know, what we want to be? How are we showing up internally in the same way that we are externally? But it does take courage. And I think from a, you know, the, the the consultants that you know and and how we advise you know we have we have to have a sense of courage as well that we're going to challenge you know what might be their status quo and ask them to think a little bit differently and to you know the the 
the habits, as you've mentioned, that they have been used to doing that always worked before may not be what can move us forward at this point. And that important word that you introduced, diversity, should also cover diversity of generations, actually. So a board is much stronger when it's got multiple generations, including the Ys, the Xs and the Zs. You know, um, if you leave it to a, a Gen X, they'll just say, tough it up and get on with the business. That's how I did it, you know. Um, whereas if you look at the Gen Z, they'll be talking from a different perspective. And maybe somewhat in the middle is the answer rather than the extremes of either. We could do a whole nother talk on just yeah. diversity and diversity <laughs> and what it looks like. And I think that's yeah. one one element of it that, that doesn't often get um, considered is is the is the individuals in the room, not only by, you know, culturally what they represent, but by age and such, because we do all come to these things with very different experiences and 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 work ethic by definition is different for you know, the different categories, right? And it doesn't mean they're any less or, or I'm any more productive by it. We just come to it from a very different um, perspective. And, and those different perspectives, I think, is what leads to, to our success. So I'm, I'm you know, the, the thing that's, that I come back to is this, this, these initial conversations that need to happen. And, and you know, when in the, in the cycle of efforts that, you know, do you start having these and, and challenging that status quo? You know, when do you sit down with that CEO or that board chair and say, we got to do some things a little bit differently? We are not progressing in the way that we're supposed to be in the way that you've been charged with, you know, doing for this. You've been brought onto our board for a particular reason. So when do we, you know, focus on this idea of change and communication and, you know, kind of challenging uh, what these habits have been or the way that we've always done it and bring in these new ideas. Some boards can just grow organically and they, they can be fortunate. They can be, you know, acknowledge, have the tough conversations and, and move on. Others probably need an intervention. Uh, and within that, there's a few uh, important principles that they may need to take uh, heed of, including establishing clear expectations up front. You know, what is each board member's role and what are their responsibilities? Because if that's not clear, then they're going to be, you know, scope creeping all over each other's jobs and telling each other how to do their jobs. The other one is setting the ground rules. So what are acceptable topics for discussion? And, you know, 20, 30 years ago, that would have been different to what's just acceptable right now. And it's an important conversation that needs to be had. And that's also around ESG. We have one example of a listed entity in New Zealand where the CEO made some very disparaging remarks about another CEO on another listed entity who happened to be a woman of color. And he did it in a very perverse way. It didn't go down well amongst the media. However, he ignored it. And what's more, his board ignored it as well. So it dragged on for weeks and weeks. He ultimately lost 50% of his share price and at the end of the day, decided to delist off the stock exchange as well. So this is the power of words uh, and having tough conversations. In this instance, I think it was the structure of the board was wrong as well, because I think he had too much control over the board as a shareholder CEO. But I think, you know, boards need to learn when to step in earlier and help that C-suite get around an issue. But they also need to get away from their own 
themselves as well. Sometimes they get involved too operationally and don't let the the C-suite just get on and do the job. So it's a fine balance. Thanks for listening to this episode of PRGN Presents, brought to you by the Public Relations Global Network. We publish new episodes every other week. So follow PRGN Presents in your favorite podcast app. Episodes are also available on our website, along with more information about PRGN and our members at prgn.com.